0: I want to welcome those who are joining us on Facebook this morning. We are glad to have you here among us today. Uh, and I want to thank um, the folks and acknowledge them uh, around the room. You might see a couple of extra video cameras. Typically, we live stream our platform address, um, which Robin staffs up in the front here. Uh, we also have some folks here as part of West member Justin Benn's um, project for his MFA. He and his colleagues are here with us this morning uh, filming so that they can create a short video that tells the story of Wes. There is a section in the back where they will do no filming so if you'd like to be off camera you're welcome to be there. But I hope that many of you will choose to be part of that um, story, part of who we are and how we tell that story uh, to the world. I'm grateful that Justin has chosen to come here to Wes um, and highlight his own community for that work. So today, the platform title that ended up um, I ended up going with that we've printed and that I ultimately chose is called Transforming Holidays. And it connects with our theme of transformation for the month of April. But the title that I originally started with and that has sort of stayed in the back of my mind for this platform is the problem with Easter. (laughs) I, as some of you know, was raised Unitarian Universalist, um, a tradition that grew out of historic Christianity and then continued going. So it's no longer a Christian tradition now, but it keeps some of those historic celebrations and days and forms. And so Easter has been a problem for a while. A couple of years ago, I found an article by a Unitarian Universalist layperson, Doug Muder, uh, who I love reading. I just enjoy his writing. He's a humanist in particular, um, and uh, he writes often for UU World, which is the magazine, the monthly uh, periodical that the uh, organization puts out. He wrote uh, an article for them called Wrestling with Easter, and I think he hit the nail on the head. Here's what he wrote. I love being a Unitarian Universalist, and I love the New England Church where I've been a member for nearly 20 years, but I don't show up for Unitarian Universalist Easter services anymore. I just don't know what I'm celebrating. It's Easter. Jesus is risen, unless maybe he isn't. Maybe he just lived on in the memory of his disciples in some metaphoric way that seemed especially important to them. Not that it matters, because God was never going to send us to hell anyway, assuming there is a God and an afterlife. But the Jews just celebrated Passover and the spring flowers are blooming. Rejoice! What, he asks, do I do with that? Well, if Easter is hard for Unitarian Universalists as they grapple with the historic Christian tradition out of which they grew, it is even harder for ethical culturists. Ethical culture, as you may know, was founded in the 19th century uh, as a new tradition, something new, but founded by a man, Felix Adler, who had been studying to become a rabbi. So although he didn't imagine ethical culture as a form of Judaism, he still certainly brought his own understanding of Judaism and, and, and religion sort of out of that context into this new movement that he created. Felix Adler actually had quite a bit to say about Easter, and we'll look a little bit at that uh, later on in our platform. But here we are on this day, and I'm never quite sure what to do with it, I will be honest. Some years we ignore it entirely, some years we really wrestle with Easter, as Doug Mütter put it in his article. Every year I'll have people coming in the front door who sort of whisper to me, sidelong out of their mouth, Happy Easter. Can I say that? Happy Easter. <laughs> and, uh, and so what? what do we do, right, with this? with this day, with this moment. The reality is that the Easter story swirls around us in America just as any Christian story does because of the cultural context in which we live. In fact, there are multiple stories that swirl around us at this time of year. We are also in the midst of Passover, the Jewish celebration, and frequently Passover and Easter overlap with each other. Not always, but often they do as they did this year. That swirls around in our context as well. And then the stories may be ones that we remember from childhood that held meaning for us or that hold meaning for us still. In a community like ours, we come from so many backgrounds and hold so many different beliefs and experiences that these stories hold on to us in different ways. So the question, I think, for us, for ethical culturists, for humanists, is what we do with these stories, what we do with the story of Easter and Passover and more, Do they hold meaning for us at all? Are they relevant in our lives? Do we have another story to substitute in? The Easter story and the Passover story, both are stories of hope and possibility when all possibility was thought lost. The Easter story, as you may know, tells of Jesus in his final days coming into Jerusalem, although he knew he would be in danger there, choosing still to go to Jerusalem to teach and preach his message and ultimately to be crucified, a form of execution that was common at the time for political dissidents. The story goes that Jesus was crucified on a Friday and on Saturday all was thought lost. And then on Sunday... The tomb was opened, the stone rolled away, and it was found empty because the story tells us Jesus was risen. Some of his closest companions found him. They were the women, of course, and they told the others about this good news and were disbelieved. And yet they persisted, as women often do. And shared the story on and on, and so the story took on more importance as a religion was born in America. This story of hope and possibility after all was lost. The Passover story is another one of hope and possibility when all was lost. As you might know, the Passover story tells of the Jews who were in Egypt where they had lived in peace uh, for many years but had then come to a time where the Pharaoh um, mistrusted them and enslaved them. The Jews were uh, slaves in Egypt building pyramids and um, losing their children to um, to the Egyptians, and they rose up and um, tried to escape. You know, perhaps the story of the plagues, which were sent to the Egyptians uh, to convince Pharaoh to change his heart and let the Jews go. And finally, he does, the Jews escape with only their possessions and their unleavened bread Baking on their backs, which is why during Passover, uh, Jews eat matzah for those eight days—the unleavened bread. During the 9:30 platform, I said that that would be the only you would you would need a millennia long, multiple millennia long story to eat matzah. That's the only reason you would want to eat it. But then it turns out like everybody else seems to like matzah. So I don't know. I don't really like matzah, but um, but. Others do, so maybe maybe the matzah is the reason. Um, but this story, this Passover story, is one too of hope and possibility after all was lost, after a time of great fear and anxiety. There are other stories of hope and possibility that swirl around in Western culture. I think of the story of Persephone, um, who was taken down to hell and ate the seed and so had to stay and yet was allowed every year to return to her mother when spring came, that story out of the Greek and Roman traditions. It's interesting, as I was working on this platform, I um, put a little query on Facebook And I will say, I I love doing that on Facebook when I prepare for platforms. I love to sort of put questions out and see what I get in response. And if you are not my Facebook friend and want to be part of those conversations, I want to encourage you to send me a Facebook friend request. I don't ever request friends from among the congregation, because I figure it's up to you if you want your clergy person to see your Facebook page. Um, Some might, some might not. That's okay. But I'll always say yes if you ask me. Um, So I put this question out there um, about hope, about stories of hope. And um, a couple of people responded and reminded me that the idea of the importance of hope and hopefulness is in some ways a Western concept. They reminded me about the teachings um, within Buddhism and Hinduism out of which Buddhism came which really invite us instead to be present in the moment and detached from outcome. Not to hold hope so closely in our heart, but instead to allow what is to be. And there is wisdom in that. And so I want to bookmark it for another platform, a platform about how maybe we shouldn't have hope at all. But this is a platform about hope. It's one about the stories of hope when all is lost. I think that idea, the all is lost part, is one of the keys. Doug Muder in that article, Wrestling with Easter, talks about finding Easter services in his Unitarian Universalist congregation unsatisfying. They didn't speak to him, certainly in the same way that that they did when he was a child, but they didn't even speak to him as well as other services did around other holidays. And he talks a little bit more later in the article about why that is. Scratch the gilded surface of today's spring holidays, he writes, and that underlying grimness still shows through. What passes over on Passover is the angel of death taking the firstborn of every unprotected family in Egypt. The empty tomb of Easter means little without the blood-sweating anxiety of Gethsemane or the torture of Golgotha. Whether it's the son of the Pharaoh or the son of God, someone has died, and that is why you get to go on. Muder is pointing to the importance of the pain and loss in each of these stories of hope. Among my Christian colleagues, they'll often talk about the importance of Good Friday when you're celebrating Easter. And what Doug would say, and he's right, is that most Unitarian Universalist congregations don't do anything on Good Friday. They go right to Easter, to the celebratory part with bells and joy, and they forget the day of loss, the day of anxiety and sorrow and grief that precedes it. Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, had a similar idea in his address called the ethical significance of Easter. The celebration of Easter, he wrote, is not peculiar to Christianity. In the old pagan religions, there were festivals at this time. The Hebrew Passover is another instance in point. But in all the religious festivals in which the spring is the motive, we find that the occasion is not one just of gladness, of full-throated joy, such as the awakening of nature might suggest. The note of Easter is rather one of triumph. If there be gladness involved, it has the character of relief after precedent, um, precedent anguish. The passion lent with its deprivations is in the background. In the pagan times, human sacrifices were brought to cruel divinities at this season. The Hebrew Passover itself is reminiscent of slaughter in Egypt, of flight and pursuit, of nearness to drowning in the Red Sea, and of bare escape onto the desert shore. Terrors and darkness are behind the Easter joy. Adler and Muder both, I think, have pointed to a key part of the celebration of hope and triumph in many of these stories, that before you get there... You have a moment of loss. I think that's actually particularly key for humanists. Humanism is a tradition which asks us to look at life fully, at all we experience in life, not just to pretend there are only good parts, but to see the sadness, the fear, the anxiety, the grief that we experience as well. It's hard to do, I think. Sometimes when I'm Meeting folks in pastoral care situations, they'll be quick to say to me, well, you know, this thing happening to me is really bad, but other people have it so much worse, I I shouldn't feel this badly. Or they'll try to get quickly to the sort of stiff upper lip part, you know, buck up and move on. I, I should be able to handle this better. I have to remind them and remind myself at times that lamentation is a good thing. That noticing, being aware of our pain is important. After the first platform, someone shared with me his experience with Tonglen meditation, which is um, practiced within certain forms of Buddhism. Tonglen meditation invites you to experience pain as precisely as possible. He described it. To really understand the source of pain in your own life, or in the world. He related it so beautifully to the way that we peel back the layers of systemic racism and oppression to understand as precisely as possible the pain that people are in, the pain we experience in the world, so that our compassion can come out of that precision, out of that deep awareness of pain. But these stories, of course, are not just about the pain. They are about the pain that precedes the celebration, about the hope and the possibility where none was thought to exist. Now, for most of these stories, and for many of us, the stories tell that celebration and that hope and possibility in ways that may no longer resonate for us, wrapped up in miracles that do not feel connected to our lives now. Not in the same way that they might in a more traditionally religious community. After all, we don't really have miracles, right? And yet, we still need, I think, hope. What then do we do? How do we find our own stories? Doug Mooder goes on to talk about why it is, he thinks, that Easter just hasn't worked for him. He talks about how much he loves the Christmas holiday. He isn't a Christian, of course, he's a humanist, as I said, and yet for him, Christmas is important and valuable and meaningful precisely because there have been humanist versions of the Christian message created, stories that do speak to him in a deep and meaningful way. Easter, he writes, doesn't have its own complementary secular mythology. No Scrooge, no Grinch, no wonderful lives, no miracles on the streets of New York, no young Virginia to whom the true nature of Santa Claus can be revealed. And so, he says, when the Christian Easter story stopped working for me, when I could no longer accept the resurrection or wrap my mind around the Christian plan of salvation, the holiday began to ring hollow. Sure, you can have the family over for a feast, color some eggs, give the kids a basket of candy, fake grass, and stuffed bunnies. You can even go to church and sing hymns about the spring flowers if you want. But what does it all mean? It's a shame, really, he says, because I think we need a secular Easter mythology. And the material to build one is all around us. The material to build one. So this Facebook post that I put out there was my hunt for material. I asked people to share stories of hope in their own lives. Times when they thought that all hope was lost, that there was no possibility for them to move forward in a particular way, and yet they found hope anyway. I got some really good stories. (laughs) One West member wrote about his teenage self. He had dropped out of school couldn't figure out how to make it in the world, what to do with his life. He was depressed and stayed home. Neighborhood parents um, decided to homeschool their children and asked his 16-year-old self if he would help out. He knew nothing about homeschooling or children or teaching, but he said yes because he had nothing to lose and nothing better to do. And his life began to transform friendships with these two young children, a new lease on life, and a new sense of possibility. Two women shared a story of hoping to have a baby shortly after their commitment ceremony. They had talked with many people about being donors and all had said no. And so they started to pursue an adoption. And at the last moment, the adoption did not go through and that child did not come to live with them. They took it as a sign that parenthood was not for them and they put that in the background of their lives grieved and mourned and tried to move on a couple years later in a chance conversation with a friend one of them mentioned this possibility and the friend a man said oh I'll be the donor no problem and uh, they said maybe you should check with your wife which was a good idea Um, (laughs) but the wife said yes and they have now a five-year-old son the light of their lives Another friend posted about living in a small town in Oregon where, as she said, I already knew all the lesbians. I dated half of them and wasn't interested in the others. She thought love was not for her. And so on a visit to another small town where she was caring for her dying father, she didn't think much of the uh, introduction to a woman new in that town. They are married with two children, possibility when she thought there would be none. Another friend wrote simply, Trump was elected equals lost hope. Activism on the highest level I've seen in my 40 years equals hope. A man wrote about losing everything in a house fire, all his possessions, standing outside in the cold sobbing and then beginning to receive vouchers for food and housing from the Red Cross, a place to stay with friends, a benefit concert organized to support him with funds so he could get back on his feet. He described it as his first experience of total dependence on others, which led to holding more gratitude than he had ever held before. When I started thinking about these stories of hope, the material for our own story, I thought about bonsai trees. You know the National Arboretum in D.C. It's a beautiful place. It's on just off New York Avenue. Um, And it's gorgeous. There's a great azalea path, which would all be in bloom right now, and these beautiful columns that come up on the hill. But my favorite part of the arboretum is an unbelievable collection of bonsai trees. Bonsai are the little trees that are miniaturized versions of full trees. They have little tiny leaves, and the flowers just kind of come along their perfectly manicured branches. The oldest trees in this collection are more than 400 years old. And I, I try to imagine what it must have been 400 years ago for someone to begin pruning this bonsai tree, to begin the process of training the limbs and grafting them to each other, wondering perhaps who would care for the tree when they died, Unable to imagine the world that we live in now. That the tree would be shipped all the way across the world. Here to a country not yet formed in its current state. To be cared for at the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C. And yet, someone trained that tree and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on. Each person doing a little bit to form this beautiful plant, this beautiful symbol of possibility and growth. I said earlier that we don't have miracles in ethical culture, and some of you may certainly agree that that's true. Sometimes, though, I hear people talk about ethical culture miracles. You have to say it all together, you know, all three words, ethical culture miracles. Sometimes that might be, you know, the beauty around us, a rainbow unexpectedly gorgeous when it didn't really have to be, (laughs) the snow freshly fallen that takes our breath away. But the really good ethical culture miracles that people talk about are the ones where something new has happened, something hopeful has happened unexpectedly because other people made it so. Sometimes people use the phrase sort of um, uh, easily or or loosely, you know, I lost my keys, I thought I would never find them, but Bailey picked them up, and she handed them to George, and George finally saw me, and he got them to me, I've got my keys back, it's an ethical culture miracle. (laughs) But sometimes those miracles are far deeper. They are a community showing up at a time of loss and refusing to look away from pain. They are a community celebrating together. They are a child growing up, a teen struggling and finding a new way forward. All of these miracles that we create together, ourselves. That Easter address that that Felix Adler gave, the ethical significance of Easter, he gave that in 1915 in New York City. It's hard for me to imagine 400 years ago when the bonsai tree was being started, but I can imagine 1915 in America. It was the beginning of World War I. And I can imagine the anxiety being held at that time by Americans and people around the world. The anxiety into which Adler was speaking. Here's what he said in that address. We must create the new spiritual ideal of humanity and in the process of creating it, gain the strength for realizing it. The human race may be compared to a writer. At the outset, a writer has often only a vague general notion of the plan of his work and of the thought he intends to elaborate. As he proceeds, penetrating his material, laboring to express himself fitly, he lays a firmer grasp on his thought he finds himself so the human race is writing its story finding itself discovering its own underlying purpose revising recasting a tale pathetic often yet none the less sublime the idea of humanity as being part of a story is one that has been helpful to me when I most despair in my own life or of the world around me. When I cannot see the possibility, when I am stuck in the pain and loss, I remember that I'm only in one little chapter of that story. I'm only one caretaker in the 400-year bonsai tree's life. Only one moment in the story of humanity. Doug Muter thinks that we need material for our story. And he is right that it is all around us. Last night, Wes celebrated our humanist Seder. And every year that closes with words from Anne Frank. And every year... Those words make me choked up. It's really a wonder, Frank wrote, that I haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and impossible to carry out. Yet I keep them because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever-approaching thunder which will destroy us too. I can feel the sufferings of millions, and yet I think it will all come out right that this cruelty, too, will end and that peace and tranquility will return again. In the meantime, I must uphold my ideals, for perhaps the time will come when I shall be able to carry them out. Anne Frank's words speak to us from out of her time into our own she offers a piece of the chapter of human history, material for our story of hope. And in the end, whatever stories are meaningful to you from different traditions, from different books and scriptures, for me, the most important story is the one that we tell with our lives the story that we write chapter by chapter bonsai tree by bonsai tree the story of possibility and hope where there were was none the miracles that we create